Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And he said this. He said, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The biggest fool on the planet is the one who doesn't have a relationship with God. And that means that the wise are friends with God. And that's what I want to talk about today. Something God originated so long ago came right from his heart. Nobody saw it coming, but God delights to show his mercy and his grace. It's found all through the Bible. On the very beginning pages of Genesis, you can see the first glimpse, the first hint of his plan of grace and salvation. The story we'll be looking at today points to the grace that we all desperately need, God's grace on display. And this story is a preview of God's plan for people like you and like me, people who need God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. God's plan for weak, sinful, fallen people was not to show judgment and wrath and anger, but to show grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Long before Jesus ever displayed his love by leaving heaven and being born on earth and dying on a cross, he gave illustrations, like I said, all through the Bible on grace and mercy and forgiveness. So today I want to examine a story, a story of an obscure Old Testament character named Mephibosheth. Now, you're probably going to forget his name, but I hope you'll remember this story for the rest of your life because it clearly displays God's love, God's gospel of grace, and God's forgiveness offered to all of us. Now, in order to understand the story we're going to look at today, we need some understanding about some background of what's taken place here. This story involves a covenant between two men. Covenants are unfamiliar with us today here in the modern culture. But I want to very briefly describe what took place when a covenant was made between two people in the ancient world, because it'll help with the background of the story. In ancient culture, men usually wore a coat with a belt around it. And on that belt would be a pouch, a knife, and a sword. And when two men made a covenant, they would remove their belt and remove their coat, and then they would exchange pouches. And that was to signify a commitment that they would provide for each other for the rest of their lives. They shared each other's wealth, and they shared each other's debts. Neither man nor his family would ever go hungry as long as his friend had food to share with them. Next, they would exchange the swords. This signified their promise to defend one another, even at risk of their own death. They would, they would be that committed. And then they would trade coats, and that signified giving each other all that they had to give. As they handed the coat, they would say, all that I have is now yours. Next, they would cut themselves on the wrist. And this wasn't a little pinprick like kids do for blood brothers in tree houses. This would, would have been a gash. The laceration would bleed profusely, and the goal was to create a scar, a scar that would last a lifetime. And that scar would be a permanent reminder of their promises to each other, and they wanted to make sure they never forgot their commitment. So as old men, they would sit around, and if they felt that scar, they looked down and saw it. They would remember their covenant friend, the one that they made all those promises to. And then after that, they would eat a meal consisting of bread and wine. And from that day forward, in the ancient world, they were known as friends. It was that type of friendship that Solomon thought of when he said, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. 
when he said, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That was the friendship that he was thinking about when he wrote that. And the covenant made between two men extended to both their families for generations. And at the end, then they would exchange names. They literally took on each other's name. So in Genesis, we find a covenant made between man and God. Remember the story of Abram? God made a covenant with Abram and changed his name from Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. And it was after that that Abraham became known as God's friend. So the concept of friend is so different in the ancient world. It meant so much more. It wasn't something that was casually thrown around. Oh, yeah, he's a friend. Yeah, they're a friend. They took friendship very serious. There is recorded in Scripture another time two men made a covenant, a friendship. Their names were Jonathan and David. You can find the story in 1 Samuel. And and in 1 Samuel 18, David, young David, has just killed Goliath in front of the whole nation. Everybody knew who David was. And you read in chapter 18, verse 1, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Later in chapter 20, we read, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David and Jonathan went back to the town. Think about it. David was a shepherd. All he owned was a rod, a staff, and a sling. He brought nothing to this relationship. Jonathan was the son of the king of Israel. He was heir to the throne. He had all the wealth of a kingdom. All David brought to the covenant was a devoted heart to his friend, Jonathan. Later, David hears that Jonathan was killed in battle. And he was devastated. His friend was gone. Years later, David has been made king of Israel. He sits on the throne of Israel. And something made David reminisce like old men do. I can imagine him playing with his grandkids. He's got a granddaughter sitting on his lap. She says, Grandpa, what's that, what's that scar on your forehead from? He said, well, I was protecting my father's flock against a lion. And that's how I got that scar. And one of the grandsons says, Grandpa, where did you get that scar on your shoulder? He said, well, I was fighting the Philistines and... I got wounded, and Grandpa was tough when he was young. One of the other granddaughters says, Grandpa, where'd you get that scar on your wrist? And his thoughts turn to to Jonathan, and he thinks to himself, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Took him right back to that day they made their friendship covenant. And the memory of his friend Jonathan moves David, and he remembers the promises they made to each other, And so in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we read this. David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul for whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's house named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. 
the king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Earlier in Samuel, you can read how he was crippled. It says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, and as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. Lodabar was a dirty little town out in the middle of the desert, out in the middle of nowhere. And it was a bastion for rebels, insurgents, and marauders. It was full of people who were still loyal to King Saul. These people didn't want David as their king. They wanted, to, as a matter of fact, to overthrow his reign. And so Mephibosheth, raised in this town called Lodabar, no doubt was raised not only to hate David, but to fear him. He was told probably every day that David wanted to ruin him and make his life miserable. And so Mephibosheth spent years hiding from the king. All that time, he had nothing and David had everything. And one day, some soldiers rode into Lodabar and they started asking questions about Mephibosheth and he probably freaked out. He thinks, this is it. David has found me out. I'm the grandson of Saul, David's enemy. He probably thought he was as good as dead. But it says, so King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amiel, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. The main point is found in verse 7 of this chapter. When it says, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Because of the commitment we made to be friends way back then, that commitment lasts still today, and I'm going to treat you like my own son. The man who once feared and rebelled against David is now treated like his son. The kindness of a king is extended to an ex-rebel who deserved nothing and could offer nothing to the king in return for all of his kindness. Can you see why God put this story in the Bible? Do you understand what he's pointing to here? God was showing us what he would do for us one day. David represents God in the story, the king. Jonathan represents Jesus in the story, the king's son. Jonathan's name means gift from God. We read the verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
Paul told the Corinthians, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Jesus is that gift. So David represents God. Jonathan represents Jesus. And guess who represents us? Mephibosheth. How many of us have lived in Lodabar, so to speak? Before we knew Jesus, living in exile, spiritually speaking. Separated and hiding from the king of the universe. Afraid of this God that we didn't know. Thinking that if he knew who we really are and what we've really done, he would destroy us. Thinking that a life serving him would be a life full of misery. All the fun drained right out of life and all you can do is come to church and sing songs and read the Bible. Not wanting him to rule over us. And all along our view of him, totally wrong. Listen, just like Mephibosheth, if you're a believer in Christ, you belong to a royal family, a royal line. Peter said you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We belong to a royal line. But like Mephibosheth, we've all been crippled by a fall. The fall of sin. That, that thing that separated us from the king, from God himself. We are all as helpless as Mephibosheth was. The writer of Romans says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We are all spiritually crippled and helpless. And yet we are remembered because of a covenant made long ago. Because of that covenant, we will be received by the king no matter what state we're in, no matter what condition we're in, no matter how often we've blown it, how long we've blown it, or how bad we've blown it. We're always welcome. And all because of the merits of another. All because of the merits of Jesus. He's got the scar on his wrist to prove it. He's called a friend of sinners. Because we're all sinners. And he's a friend to all who love him, who serve him, who honor him. A prophet spoke of Jesus one day named Zechariah. He said, if someone asks him, Jesus, what are these wounds on your body? He will answer, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. Jesus has given us his pouch, that promise to provide for us. Paul told the Philippians, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Peter said, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That was part of the arrangement, part of the friendship covenant. Not only has he given us the pouch, he's given us his sword too because he promised to protect his people. David said in Psalm 31, The Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. Each of us has the opportunity to accept or reject that covenant of grace with God today. And if you you accept it at one point, you might have to Renew that acceptance again. But if you've never accepted it, today could be that day. This covenant began before the world was created, before the foundations of the world were ever laid. It continued in the upper room. That's where Jesus and his friends had the meal of bread and wine. What we're going to do here shortly. That's why Jesus took the cup at the Last Supper and he said, This is the blood of my covenant. It concluded on the cross of Calvary. That's where the blood was shed. Can you see every component of of a covenant was made and fulfilled by Jesus? He gave us his robe too. 
Isaiah says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Every component of the covenant was fulfilled. And this covenant of God's isn't a short-term or temporary covenant. It lasts forever. David said he remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. Like Mephibosheth, we find ourselves having nothing and deserving nothing. Why God wants a relationship with us, I'll never understand. Because we bring nothing to the relationship. We offer nothing. And though we deserve nothing, we're offered everything. Even a seat at the table of the king. An angel once said in Revelation, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Jesus confirmed the covenant when he said this, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you called a friend of God. Today is a day of decision. Every day is a day of decision. We get up in the morning, we decide, am I going to walk with Jesus today or not? Am I going to live like a Christian or not? But today is a day of decision for all of us. Not everyone is a friend of God's. Paul told the Philippians, for as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. But you know, the grace of God turns enemies of God into friends of God. His grace. People always want to say, do you accept Jesus? Well, when I became a Christian, I didn't accept Jesus. I begged him to accept me because I had brought nothing to the relationship. And that day, in 1978, I went from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. Paul told the Colossians, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's what he brought to the relationship. Today, because of God's grace, we all have the unbelievable privilege to become a friend of God. David the psalmist said he provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. But you've got to move out of Lodabar. You can't stay in that bastion of people who aren't friends with God. That place of hiding or rebelling against God. Move out of that place. Move, move, move out of that place that you go to forget all about God and, and live as if He didn't exist. Just like David did for Mephibosheth, the King Jesus is waiting to receive you in whatever state you're in. David said, the one who remembered us in our lowest state, his love endures forever. The writer of Romans says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you are wise enough to enter this covenant of friendship, The promises are forever.
Your promises are given to God for a lifetime. His promises are given to us for an eternity. Deuteronomy says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. The Bible says that it's the goodness of God that leads men and women to repentance. God's goodness is seen in God's grace, in his plan of salvation, in his desire to be a friend of ours and have a relationship with us. Today, I'd like to introduce some of you to a new friend. A friend who loves at all times. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. And if you've never crossed that line of faith, raised the white flag of surrender over your life and decided that you're going to live for God and be a friend of His, you can do that right now. You can do that in the very chair you're seated in right now. You're no more than a whispered prayer away from going from an enemy of God or a stranger to God to his friend. And if you're already a friend of God's, why not stop and remember like David did that day? Why not think back of what your life was like before Jesus came into your life? Why not think back about the the, the steps he took to have a relationship with you? Remember all the promises he made you and remember all the promises you made him. Why not stop and thank him as if it was for the very first time? Why not stop and reconfirm your devotion to Jesus today? Why not devote your one and only life to him once again today and every day for the rest of your life? Why not remember? We're going to do that right now. We're going to have a chance to do that with communion. So if you guys want to come up the servers... When I'm done here, you're going to go to one of the four stations, take the juice, take the bread, go back to your seat, and take them whenever you feel like you're prepared. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you are a friend of God's, then this is for you. And if you're not, you can partake this if you just give your life to God. I remember seeing a story at the Vietnam War Memorial Wall in Washington, D.C., And there was a soldier with tears running down his cheeks, rubbing the the name on the wall. And they interviewed him and said, how often do you come here? He says, I've come here every year that this wall has been here. And they said, why would you travel all that way just to stand in front of a wall? And he said, because this man gave his life for me. And he wasn't going to forget. Jesus knew that lives get busy. And we all have a tendency to forget. And so he instituted this. And he did it with the best friends he had. With his disciples. That would be the last Passover they would look ahead to. To see the promised Savior of the world. Every Passover since then, we look back. At what took place on a hill outside of Jerusalem where Christ pledged his friendship to us, even at the risk of his own death. And he did it knowing what it was going to cost him. And he said, as often as you do this, don't remember all my miracles. Don't remember the blind eyes that were open. 
the lame that walked, even the dead that were raised to life again. Remember me. Remember the covenant I made with you. I brought everything. You had nothing. And yet I've devoted and committed myself to you as a friend. And I call you my friend. That's what we do with communion. That's why we remember. That's who who we remember. If you, could, if you could just bow your heads for a moment. Put yourself in a position to, to share your heart with God. You know, today's message didn't really have an ending because the friendship doesn't end with the end of the service. I pray this week that you will take the knowledge that God brought everything to the friendship he wanted with you. I pray you would travel this whole week with that awareness, that knowledge, and that you would spend this week living a life of gratitude, expressing gratitude for what God did for you. Heavenly Father, we will never, this side of heaven, comprehend what it is you've done for us. Lord, we brought nothing into this relationship and we really have very little to offer you and what we can offer you is is by your grace. Your grace gave us the faith to believe in you and your grace gives us the strength to walk with you. And I pray, God, that this week, everybody who hears my voice right now would live a life of awareness and live a life of gratitude. And that when temptation comes, I pray that love would conquer temptation. I pray, God, that this week would be a week spent in friendship with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.